0: Well, hello there, everyone. This is Nurse Mo. Welcome back to the Straight a Nursing Podcast. I am so excited that you're here today. This is a topic I've been wanting to tackle with you guys for a while, and that is your first Code Blue. So, this is episode 153. Can you believe we have 153 episodes now? And if you guys have been struggling with finding which episodes are pertaining to the topics you're learning about in school, then I am super excited to. To tell you that we have a great new podcast directory on our fancy new website. So if you go to straightanursingstudent.com and you click on directory in the menu bar, It's going to take you to a page where you can essentially sort things by their tags, which is basically their specific subject. So if you're interested in cardiac, look for the cardiac tag. You're going to get all the episodes about cardiac stuff. And then you listen straight from the website. Or of course, just jot down those episode numbers and then go to your podcast playing app and you can now find them because they're all in numerical order There. So I hope that helps you guys. And before we dive into talking about your first code blue, I do want to take a minute for our listener shout out. And today that listener shout out goes out to Delia, who says, on behalf of my study group of 10 second year nursing students, we want to say a huge thank you for helping us understand tricky topics. We have been sharing your podcast throughout our whole class and everyone is finding our exams a lot less stressful as we can now understand and put all the concepts together. You're honestly amazing. And we are so thankful. You're an Awesome nurse. Well, Delia, I think you and your classmates are awesome students. So thank you so very much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to let me know how the podcast is helping you. Okay, you guys, your first code blue. I don't know about you, but when I was a new nurse, I was terrified of this happening Knowing that I worked in a critical care environment, I knew it was going to happen, and it eventually did happen. And I have to say, it is a source of stress for a lot of nursing students and new nurses, even experienced nurses. When your patient, I'm not talking about a code on the unit, I'm talking about when it's your patient, it is really scary, and it can be really stressful. So... As you're heading into clinicals, as you're heading into maybe your first nursing job or you're changing care areas or whatever it is, you know, there's a lot that you're probably going to be nervous about. And again, the one one of the things that I was most nervous about was what if my patient codes? Will I recognize it's happening? What do I do? How do I get help? A million questions running through your mind, right? So, my goal here today is to talk you off the ledge a little bit, talk you down a little so that you feel less anxious about experiencing your first code blue and provide you with tips so that you feel a little bit more confident if and when that does occur, okay? So, I will never forget the first time one of my patients coded. I was pretty new as a nurse and I was taking care of a patient after a surgery. And one of the issues that was going on was hyperkalemia. And I will never forget the moment that it happened. It's just in my head and I'll just never forget it because it left such an imprint on me. depth and the hugeness of that situation and how scared I was when it happened. So this patient just like almost just immediately went into a V fib arrest, just sinus rhythm to V fib arrest. And thank goodness I was not in the room by myself. I had two seasoned nurses. We were in there doing something. Maybe they were they were helping with something or maybe, you know, answering a question and this happened. And thank goodness I wasn't alone. You might be the first time you have a code blue, but I was just really thankful that these other two nurses were there. Uh, whoever was closest to the code bus- button pushed the code button. Um, I got all the stuff off the bed that we didn't need. Um, You know, there were all these huge wedge pillows that we use on patients in the ICU, got those out of the way so that we could get to the patient and start compressions. And At the time, it felt like slow motion, but it all happened so, so, so fast. Um, The crash cart got there, you know, really, really fast in less than a minute. The respiratory therapist got there really, really fast. And again, I was terrified, but I knew what to do. And I had a really great team there doing it with me. So I'll never forget that. It is going to happen most likely, especially if you work in a critical care environment, ED, you know, someplace like that. I just want you to feel a little bit more prepared when it does. And of course, you're going to take BLS and ACLS, There's something about when it actually happens that you tend to kind of freeze because fear causes your brain to not work. So if we can take a little bit of the fear away, your brain's going to work just great and you're going to do absolutely just fine. So one of the first components of a Code Blue is recognizing that it's happening in the first place. And you might be worried that you're not going to recognize it. You probably will because it's pretty obvious when a patient's heart has stopped, right? So if your patient is on a monitor then recognizing a code situation is often due to that monitor alarm going off. But it's important. Now, your monitor may think your patient's in VTAC when they're simply brushing their teeth. That happens all the time or jiggling around in the bed, jiggling those leads. But anytime a monitor alarm goes off, you have to address it and... You probably need to go put eyeballs on the patient, especially if the monitor alarm says, oh, he's in VTech." okay? You're not just going to look at the monitor, silence it, and go on about your day. You're going to put eyeballs on the patient. So get in the room and assess the patient. If the patient is sitting there chatting with his friends, but his monitor shows flatline asystole, well, do you really think he's in asystole? Or do you think maybe one of his leads came off? So you're going to go obviously check that. If it looks like VTAC, but he's scratching at his chest because it's itchy, then it's probably not that he needs, you know, to be cardioverted. He probably is just jiggling his leads. If your patient has Parkinson's, those tremors can look a bit like VFib, on the monitor. So the moral of this is eyeballs on your patient. Now let's say the monitor goes off, you get into the room, you hustle in there to assess what's going on. And once you've seen a patient who's in a code situation, in a V-fib arrest, in asystole, systole, uh, you know, a serious bradycardia that is not sustaining adequate uh, blood pressure, you, you can look at the person and you know there's something wrong, okay? It's not going... There's probably not going to be a lot of ambiguity around that, but... When you're new and you haven't seen a lot of this, yes, you might worry that you, you know, may not notice things as easily as someone who has been around the block a few times. But if your patient has no heart rhythm or very little heart rhythm, they don't look good. Okay? They look pretty bad. Their skin color is very, very poor. They are obviously not going to be responsive, awake. They're going to look kind of like they've already passed, okay? Because technically, when the heart stops, the patient has died. They are now, we are trying to resuscitate them, bring them back, right? So signs to look for. Things you might notice are that pallor, that gray tone to the skin it does not look right, you guys. Very cool, clammy skin. It's not getting good perfusion. Slack jawed, okay? There's no muscle tone holding their, you know, their jaw in the normal position. Glassy-eyed, eyes rolled back. No response to painful stimulation. They could have a release of their bowels. They could have agonal breathing, which is kind of like this periodic gasping breath in. Just because your patient's having agonal breathing, I don't mean to look and say, well, they're breathing, so they're okay. No, that's an end of life kind of gasping agonal breath. Overall, just lifelessness to their appearance, their demeanor, and obviously no pulse. So you're responding to your code blue. So let's say you hustle into the room. Your patient looks like all of those things. He's uh, grayish skin. His skin is cool. You check a pulse. He's not responding to your stimulation. What are you going to do about this? Even without taking ACLS, and you may not need to take ACLS depending on where you're working, you may only have your BLS. And you can do a lot with BLS. You can still intervene appropriately to help your patient. So you got to get more hands in the room. So you want to get help in their stat. If the code button is hard to get to and you want to get to work on the patient right away, which you should, you might... Yell really loud for help, or you push the code button. Okay, just depends. You know, if you're really, really far down the hallway, maybe no one's gonna hear you, push the code button. Okay, take that extra bit of tiny bit of time to push the code button. That is gonna get you the most help the quickest. But if there's someone you know, there's someone standing right, you know, in, in the bathroom of the room you're in or right outside the room, and you can't get to that code button quickly, yell for help. Yell for the crash cart. Yell, I need help in here. Somebody will come. Best bet though, push in that code button. That is key, man. You'll get more help than you ever than you ever even actually need. Uh, a lot of people are going to get alerted to that code. It's going to be called overhead, obviously, and then you know physicians going to show up. Pharmacy's gonna show up, the lab's gonna show up, and a whole bunch of other nurses are gonna show up. In my hospital, spiritual care shows up, the house supervisor shows up, the charge nurse shows up, rapid response shows up. There's a whole lot of people that show up to a code. Getting that code button pushed, getting that crash cart in there is going to get um, things rolling for your patient. So let's say your patient was sitting in a chair and you come into the room and you know you see all this and there's no pulse. Well, you've got to get them into position for CPR. So get them onto the floor. If they were in bed sitting up in high Fowler's, get that bed flat. Get it flat stat. Um, beds will have a CPR lever on them, or they should. If they don't, they really should. Look around at your different beds that your facility uses and locate that CPR lever. Know where it is. You pull that lever and the bed immediately flattens out. You don't have to go with the head down thing, okay? Who has time for that in a code? You don't have time for that. Push that button or pull that lever, get that bed flat. If they're, you know, not in bed, getting them to the floor, so that you can do CPR and start compressions. I want you to think compressions, compressions, compressions. You've taken your BLS and you know how to do this. It's not hard. It's physically demanding, but the logistics of it, it's not hard. And you all know how to do it. And this is not a time to be shy, you guys. You've got to press hard. You've got to press harder than you think. If you've ever taken BLS where they have the device that actually measures the depth of your compressions, really hard to maintain adequate depth. So don't be shy. You're going to push hard. You're going to push fast at that appropriate rate. Don't worry about hurting the patient. You're bringing them back. So it doesn't matter if you break ribs and you will break ribs. That's okay. And that's probably the most shocking thing for people. The first time they do chest compressions is to feel the ribs breaking. It's kind of awful. Um, But don't be squeamish about that. Broken ribs are fixable. Broken ribs get better. You have to get in there. Okay, focus on your form, focus on your rate, your depth, and keep breathing as you do it. Okay, because it is very physically demanding. And if you can use really good body ergonomics as you're doing it, it's going to help sustain you for that cycle. It's hard to do a full cycle of CPR. Um, You definitely want to have people in line behind you to switch out and you want to do your switch outs in a very coordinated manner. And you guys learned how to do that in your BLS. Okay, by this time, you've gotten your patient to the floor, or he's in the bed, and you've got it flat, and you're doing those compressions. By now, someone else is there to help you, right? Hopefully, they got there pretty quickly. You got to get that backboard under the patient if they're on the bed, if they're on the floor, they've got a hard surface, but if they're on the bed, you need that backboard to really maximize those compressions, and you're going to get those pads on the patient. So these are the next things that are going to be happening. Now, if your patient was on a ventilator, the respiratory therapist or another nurse will be manually bagging the patient at that point, point. and what we typically do is we Disconnect the ventilator, they stay intubated, and we we take the um, BVM and attach it to the end of the endotracheal tube and manually bag the patient, okay? The high pressures, the intrathoracic pressures are elevated during CPR and that can trigger that high pressure alarm on the ventilator and make ventilation kind of not so effective. So we manually bag the patient, If the patient doesn't have an advanced airway, you know, somebody can come in, you know, when you get other hands and do the BVM as well. Okay, from this point on, you've got your team in the room. So most of the time when your patient codes and you're in the room with them or you're the one that responds to, you know, whatever's happening, you're not going to be by yourself for that long. Hopefully, you're not in an elevator with the patient or somewhere isolated. You know what I mean? Hopefully, you're close to your 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 team. You're close to the crash cart. And you're not alone for that long. You've gotten those compressions going. Somebody comes in. You're going to backboard pads. Somebody else is doing BVM, oxygen, all of that. And at that point, You're probably going to be pulled away from actively participating in the code so that you can give report to the physician that shows up. You know, let him know Mr. Johnson is here for whatever situation. His potassium this morning was seven. I don't know. I'm just making up things as I go. And Maybe you guys tried to, you know, give medications to get his potassium down. Obviously, it didn't work. He went into cardiac arrest. Whatever the situation is, you want to let the MD know, like, here's what's been going on with the patient, et cetera. Or he was here. He had a cabbage yesterday or whatever it is. So um, once you've got your team in there, if you're a new nurse or you're a student nurse, The best thing you can do, really get in line for those compressions. Practice doing chest compressions. If it's your patient, obviously, you're going to be pulled away. You know, you're going to step back from that so that you can give report, Uh, maybe do the charting, maybe um, be there as a resource for people who have questions about the patient. Someone will be leading the code and you will hear them. Calling out things for the people that are doing the compressions and doing all of the things for them to do. They'll be pausing compressions occasionally to check for a pulse. They will be giving, calling for medications that will be given. And notice how they communicate with one another. They're using something called closed loop communication. Someone will say, um, Draw up a milligram of epi. The person drawing it up will say, I have an order to drop one milligram of epi so that the person that says it know that they heard it. And then when the person says, give one milligram of epi, that person will say, giving one milligram of epi. So it's a very closed loop communication there. So if you are one of the people, you know, you're the nurse, you're doing your CPR, Don't be shy about asking for a switch out when you get tired. Ineffective chest compressions lead to poorer outcomes. So if you are not feeling like you're able to maintain that hard and fast rhythm, you ask for a change. There's no shame in asking for a change. I I I guess I'm not that physically strong. I tire out really quickly. So my preferred job in a code is to either give meds, do the charting. Um, Those are kind of the two things that I usually tend to do. Um, The, you know, your codes are going to be run according to those ACLS guidelines, but physicians can order whatever they want. They may not follow the guidelines exactly. They may call for other things. You, um... Will be following the physician's orders, okay? But generally, it'll be run according to ACLS guidelines. Okay, so let's be prepared before the code even happens. How does that sound, you guys? If you're like me, when you are prepared, you feel. thousand times better about everything. So when there is an emergency with your patient, there's nothing more anxiety producing than realizing you're not prepared. So here are a few easy things you can do every clinical day or every shift to ensure that you're ready for anything that could happen. So. Hey, number one thing, know your patient's code status, please. It may sound like a complete no brainer, but in the heat of the moment, you want to be sure your patient is a full code and not a DNR, a do not resuscitate or even a limited code. Some patients will be a limited code, which, you know, could be usually it's something like no compressions just electricity and meds, which doesn't really work that well, or, you know, just meds, no electricity, no compressions, that don't really work that well. But families will stipulate sometimes they don't want grandma pounded on, but give her some meds and see if that brings her back. Okay, just be aware that that's a thing, limited code. So know what the parameters are around that limited code or that DNR, or if they're a full code. So know your patient's code status. Always, always make sure that suction and oxygen are functional and set up in your room. Some units, though, so in the ICU, we use suction constantly. It was always set up and ready to go. On a med surge floor, it might not be completely set up and ready to go, but everything is there or it's connected, but the suction thing, you know, the yank might still be in the package. So it stays clean, but it's ready to go. All the pieces are connected. So make sure it's ready to go. When you need suction, you needed it 10 seconds ago, okay? So you, it's not fun when your patient's possibly aspirating on emesis or whatever to be fumbling around getting your suction together. Get your suction verified. Right after you do your patient assessment, you're going to do a head to toe and you're going to do a quick room assessment. Suction is one of those things. Make sure your oxygen in your room is functional and that you're... you're Oxygen supplies are, you know, reachable. I cannot tell you guys how many times in the ICU where there's a million things and whatnot all over the room where the BVM is always in this... If it hadn't been used yet, it was in a plastic bag. And it was in a plastic bag with a cinch tie, you like a string, and you cinch it closed. Stupidest design ever. And people would hang that bag over one of the, um, oh, what is that thing called? With the oxygen thing on the wall. You know how it kind of sticks up. Is perfect for hanging things off of, let me tell you. And they were all over the room. So if there was a spare one in the ICU, somebody would just hang the BVM off of that and then inevitably hang something else off of that and maybe something else. And I cannot tell you how many times I would go to grab the BVM, the bag valve mask, and everything's tangled all up and I can't get the dang bag open. So kind of stressful because if your patient needs assisted ventilation with the BVM, uh, they needed it 10 seconds ago or a minute ago or whatever. So make sure all that stuff's easily accessible, that your oxygen works, that you know where it is in the room, all of those things. You're going to do kind of that room safety check. Make sure there's, uh, you know, that BVM is close by. Sometimes in the ICU, obviously there's one in every patient room, but on some med surge units, there might not be one in the room it might be in the hallway shared between like four rooms because you don't use them that often. So make sure that you know where it is. Know where the CPR lever is on all the beds that your facility uses. Okay, there's nothing more stressful than not knowing how a bed works when you need to get the head of the bed down. And there are some specialty beds that are kind of complicated. So make sure you know where that CPR lever is. And Make sure you know where the code button is. In a nicely designed hospital, it's in an easily accessible place and in a consistent place in all the rooms. That's not always the case, you guys. Sometimes the code button is behind the head of the bed and kind of hard to get to. Make sure you know where it is, okay? And you want to know where the crash cart is located on your unit. If a code is called and you're the closest one to that cart, you grab that cart. Just make sure you unplug it first. Um, um i guarantee you you won't be the first person to start running off with it and realize it's still plugged in but um maybe you only do that one time okay <laughs> all right does that help ease a little bit of your anxiety about your first code blue you go in there your patient's down you're checking for a pulse you're getting them on the floor you're getting that bed flat you're getting that code button pushed and you're starting compressions by the time you do all of those things help should be on the way. Okay, so I hope that helps you guys feel a little bit less stressed about the prospect of maybe if you don't feel like you would know what to do, or you're worried that you might freeze in that given moment. I hope you feel a little bit less fear around that. So I do want to remind you that our July planners are pretty darn amazing and are now available in our shop. So I will include the link for that in the show notes. So if you're interested in getting super organized for nursing school, or maybe you've been using the straight A nursing planner and you've been anxiously awaiting the July version. I can't wait to show them to you. So check out the show notes for that. And then next week, we're going to be talking about immobility. And before you guys think, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. um, Let me tell you, immobility is enemy number one. And I will explain it all next week. See you then. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.